Welcome to Coffee and Change. I'm Bill Kirst. As a business professional, a U.S. veteran, a lifelong learner, and an active listener, I help others navigate, understand, and adapt to our ever-changing workplace and world. As a third culture kid, I call many places home. Presently, Seattle is where I explore my creativity through the power of words and images. In this podcast, we journey with our guests, gaining knowledge and inspiration from their stories. Welcome back, and thanks for listening. Today, we have the privilege of delving into the fascinating world of a remarkable actor whose performances leave an indelible mark on our hearts and minds. Joining today is Mark Rowe, a master of his craft who portrays complex and multidimensional characters, earning him critical acclaim while captivating audiences worldwide. From intense dramas to thought-provoking thrillers, Mark fearlessly takes on the roles that challenge societal norms and explore the depths of the human experience. But it's not only the characters he brings to life on screen or stage that define him. It's his belief in the transformative power of storytelling, viewing it as a healing force that can connect us, all of us, on a profound level. Through his work, Mark seeks to touch the lives of others, evoke empathy, and shed light on the human condition. Listen in on his captivating journey and enjoy the conversation. Mark is a Southern-born actor who grew up in Tennessee. He spent a decade in New York City as a stage actor, and since 2012 has lived in Los Angeles, Atlanta, and New York, working in film, television, commercials, and theater. Today, in conversation with Mark, we will hear about his change journey that took him from You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, all the way to Stranger Things Season 4, with a few stops along the way, starring in a memorable and profitable Super Bowl Budweiser commercial, a particularly moving role in The Resident, and most recently, a film called Campfire that I cannot wait to hear more about as a veteran. Mark, welcome to Coffee and Change. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. I am thrilled to be here, Bill. So I'd love it if you could uh, introduce yourself a little bit. Obviously, you're an actor, uh, stage, screen, and otherwise, and you probably introduce yourself a lot in auditions. So that'll be the only (laughs) part you have to do work, is to do an introduction, and then from there we'll have fun and we'll have a conversation. That sounds great. I'll try to keep it brief. Uh, You know, I'm an actor. um, I was in school as a kid doing theater and and was struck by the bug bitten by the bug and knew i wanted to be an actor uh i did everything you know from high school plays to majoring in theater in college uh to summer stock to cruise ships i did kind of everything you have to do to move to new york to the big city to uh to give it a go and then in my 30s i was doing fairly well, but I wasn't quite on Broadway yet. I had some close calls, some callbacks for some Broadway shows, but didn't quite make it. And just kind of chickened out in my 30s. I said, okay, I'm not, I'm barely making it in the city and I want to do more than barely make it. So I had a fallback uh, plan, which was graphic design. So I became an art director and did that for about 15 years. And then the bug bit me again. As an artist, it never really goes away. Mm -hmm. So uh, I I got back in it, and uh, I've been pursuing it uh, full-time for about eight years now. And I've never been happier in my life. There are times I wonder if I hadn't taken that break, Mm -hmm. where would I be? But you really can't look back at life like that. You know, everything has its its reason and season and purpose. So uh, I think I grew as an artist during those years where I wasn't uh, acting, uh, and I was doing plays and things on the side, but um, not really pursuing a professional actor life. And so, uh, yeah, I couldn't couldn't be happier, and I'm loving every minute of it. Well, congratulations! I'm all about when people get to chase their dreams and then live their dreams and actually take their passions, make those into professions. Um, I haven't done that quite yet. This podcast is a passion. I've been doing it for about seven years. Um, it's totally uh. a, a passion project, um, and. And so I always love it when I hear people who have taken those passions bridged into professions full time. 
Um, Thank you. You mentioned really briefly the Broadway piece. And uh, when I was doing my research, um, I came across a conversation that you had. And I think I heard you mention that you were almost cast in one of my favorite musicals of all time, Miss Saigon, for the role of Chris. <laughs> so that means you can sing, too. Yeah, you know, I I grew up listening to Broadway cast albums and taking voice lessons and trying my best to sound like everyone that I loved. And so, yeah, I've got a pretty good Chris inside. I've, I'm, I've aged out now. But, uh, yeah, um, I never thought I was quite as dashing as I needed to be uh, to play that role. What was, I think, my the thing that kept me from moving forward, because I made it through the vocal auditions, and we had callbacks on the Broadway stage, which if you saw it on Broadway, you know it's a raked stage, yeah. huge slant to it. But Chris dances uh, in the chorus for the American Dream. Yes. And I never knew that. I thought, well, this is a great role. He just sings. He just acts. And they're like, no, no, no. He's also in the chorus. So, uh, so yeah, we did that whole American Dream number. And, uh, you know, I can move. I can dance if I have to. And I, if you go off and, and teach me something, I can go spend, spend a while. And, and I'm passable. But I don't look like a chorus boy. I don't necessarily uh, move and pick up as quickly as a chorus boy. So that was evident. So I didn't. I didn't make it past that. Well, but, uh, with your with your six three frame, I'm sure it's not always easy to uh, you know look as sort of svelte and uh, nimble and dancing. But I'm, right, I'm sure it was right. great. <laughs> I, um, that. I also. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've listened to that album. That that you know, London cast, Broadway cast albums of, of Miss Saigon. I, every time I can, I probably sing the song, Why God, uh, really loud, yeah. either in the shower or in the car. No, nobody <laughs> should hear that. We could do a duet. We could do a duet. Dueling Chris's, yes. Uh, I'll do it. the dancing. You teach me the, you teach me the singing. Um, Perfect. I think we got a combination here. Because I've I got rhythm. I will, I will say I, I, I got that from my dad's side. I'm very proud of that. That's um, awesome. So... Another story that I heard that I would love for you to kind of tell the listeners is um, I think you called it sort of the midlife, not necessarily crisis moment, but the Budweiser commercial, right? Like how it got you back into mm -hmm. this. And this was 2012. It was a Super Bowl mm -hmm. commercial, right? So can you tell that story? Because like I remember every one of those Clydesdale commercials. And yeah, I'd so love to hear it. There's such a part of our culture, aren't they? Like you just, you see the wagon, you see the dog, all that. So I was working at an ad agency doing, uh, working in entertainment marketing. Uh, and a producer friend called me and he said, Hey, what are you doing right now? I said, I'm at work. He's, he's like, you're in the screen actors guild. Right. And I said, yeah. He goes, come to a callback. And I knew he did commercials and all that. And I said, you know, I said, I, I really can't. I, I'm, you know, I, I gave all that up. Uh, my dues are paid up to this point, but I just, I'm not acting. And he goes, come on, I need your, your type to unload this beer wagon for this commercial. And they're just not at the callback. And I'm like, you know, maybe I'll go during lunch. And so I went and as the universe works, yeah. I, I wasn't that invested because I was like, whatever. And of course I booked it. And it was a Super Bowl commercial, and it was for Budweiser, and it was ridiculous. Uh, it was so much fun, and it was a period um, period commercial, and it was the end of Prohibition, mm -hmm. so we're all celebrating. And they dressed me in this amazing uh, costume that looked sort of like the mayor of, of the town, and it was shot on the Universal back lot, and we saw the dog. And those Clydesdales are ridiculous. Mm -hmm. They are so well-trained. They would gallop them down a street stop and then the horses would do a u-turn in the middle of the street and completely like they've been doing it well they probably have been yeah. doing it all their lives but i was amazed and the dog wouldn't look at anybody the dog was so well trained everybody wanted to get the dog's attention he was just like i'm a professional i will not look at you but um that was uh that was such a, an amazing experience for a number of reasons one um my roommate at the time uh, good friend, he had said to me, he goes, Mark, I challenge you to let this not be a one-off mm. because I know you're an actor in your heart. And we had a, a little Super Bowl gathering and we all watched the commercial. And now looking back, it's embarrassing because it literally, I look like an extra. There's just so much happening and I'm barely seen, but everyone cheered, you know, at, at the party and it, it made me feel so great. But, but his challenge was great. He said, you know, I challenge you to leverage this 
into don't let just this be this thing that you did and look back five years and go, oh, I was in the same. Let it propel you. And I thought that was such amazingly profound and supportive advice mm. that I thought, well, how could I how could I do that? How could I leverage this one opportunity? So I looked at the call sheet that they gave us and it had the other principal actors' names and their agents and the agents' phone numbers on it. So I thought, ooh, this is good, you know, intel. So I reached out to each of them and I said, hey, you know, I'm an actor and I don't have representation and I just worked on this commercial with your client. Uh, Would you want to represent me? And two of the five or so called me and met with me and they wanted to work with me and I ended up with one and uh, it was great. It was the perfect fit. They sent me out and I booked commercial after commercial and that's sort of the way this business works in film and television. You kind of have to uh, prove yourself with commercials and then they start saying, okay, we'll, we'll do, uh, some theatrical auditions, which ironically doesn't mean theater. It means film and television. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I started, uh, my first job was, uh, Ray Donovan Mm -hmm. and, and that was a recurring role, uh, for a couple episodes. And I think that made them go, okay, good. You, you, you kind of, we'll, we'll send you out on some more stuff. And then I got to a point couple of years later that I had to make a call, like, can I continue working at an ad agency? Mm-hmm. And, th- you know, they were excited. They'd all gather around and watch things I, uh, you know, I do. But those days, and I'm like, I have to leave for a callback in Santa Monica, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is about a 45-minute drive, five miles of 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're like, um, you know, we can't let you leave. This project is due. Uh, so I had to to really decide, do I want to pursue this with both feet and jump in? And that's kind of what brought me to Atlanta. I had a lot of friends that were booking work in Atlanta. Uh, so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm in it to win it, I guess you could yeah. say, and just seeing, seeing where it'll take me. Well, I, I love the little reminder about the universe kind of has its way of showing us because... While you while you were not comfortable and your six three frame didn't work on a slanted stage in Miss Saigon, it worked perfectly for unloading a beer truck when Prohibition <laughs> ended. <laughs> oh wow, that's an interesting. Yeah, I've, I've never thought about that. Yeah. Um, so so I, I I you know I, I just appreciate you kind of walking us through that because I I think first of all if anybody hasn't seen that for those that are listening go Google that 2012 Super Bowl commercial Budweiser the 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 period piece, right? It's, it's a period piece. The, mm-hmm. the way prohibition ending and, um, it's just a, it's a beautifully shot, beautifully produced, uh, piece of art, frankly. And so many of us, I think, you know, the Super Bowl ads, the Clydesdales, the dog, like you said, I challenge anyone to not get emotional thinking about those and watching those. Mm-hmm. They, they have cornered the market on that. Um, mm-hmm. so it's a great way. It's a great way for you to sort of enter back into the, to the, you know, the passion project that you did. Um, yeah. the, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, even to, uh, to add to a level of emotion and, um, profoundness to it all. Um, it coincided my, my fault when I was going to that callback, my phone rang and it was my mom, which she never calls me during the day. Uh, and I, I dismissed the call to, to pick up later, did the callback, came out and called her and she said, uh, not to worry, but dad's in the hospital. Mm. Um, the, there's fluid in his lungs. He's going to be fine. Uh, we talked through it. Um, and I, and by the end of the conversation, I said, Hey, you know, a little brightness. I just had a crazy callback for a commercial. And my dad was the biggest, he, the biggest fan of my acting. When I quit acting, he was heartbroken. He's like, what are you doing? Most parents would be like, thank God, finally. But he was like, Mark, you, you quit too soon. And he would watch movies and call me and say, you would have been so much better in this role. So, so to, to add that, uh, brightness to a situation, it turns out he had uh, lung cancer. Mm-hmm. And so he, he, it was pretty far advanced. So he, was still alive during the shooting of the commercial. Um, and he passed right after the Super Bowl. But what was amazing is this profound, uh, experience gave such, uh, a brightness and, and it was something that allowed us to have some excitement and hope and all in this, this period of despair. And I have to tell you, um, because I think it's such a wonderful reflection of the universe. Mm -hmm. Um, 
the producer that had called me to do that, he knew my father was ill and he had lost his father a year prior. But the end of that day, he handed me this little thumb drive and he said, don't tell anyone that I gave you this, but this is uh, something I want you to take home and give to your father. And I'm like, okay, I have no idea what this could be. And unbeknownst to me, he had had the onset photographer follow me around all day. I mean, there's 50 people. He had me, he looked like the star of this commercial in all of these shots. He's got shots of the director working with me and all these. And he's, he wanted me to send that to dad and dad got these pictures and it was amazing. It was such a gift. Mm -hmm. And my dad printed all of them out and had them all over the house. But it, you know, he made something bigger than it was uh, for me, but it was such a beautiful, beautiful sentiment and such a, a wonderful, you know, thing that happened during this, this dark time. But I have to say my dad in remarkable ways shows up in every single job that I do. I believe it. And I don't even have to look for it very far sometimes, mm -hmm. but uh, I love the fact that he, he's aware of it. He, he knows what's happening. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's a great gift. It's a long story, but uh, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I have chills just kind of thinking about it because, um, oh. I mean, you describe, well, first of all, the power of a parent being able to see the work of their child come to fruition. And, and secondly, let's take this even further that that work gets beamed into every living room, essentially in America, much less around the world, and brings people an emotional moment of joy, of nostalgia, of connection, of what it means to be American. Like, I don't know. I mean, how could a father be any more proud than that? And and so when you describe mm -hmm. it, the picture, I, I love how you just described all these candid shots, right? I'm just picturing all these beautifully candid shots you didn't even know were being taken which captures you in your essence. And then your father gets to see that you in your essence, living your dream, you know, before he, before he goes on, I, I, it makes the perfect sense to me that there's this beautiful bridge where he shows up on set in different ways every time you do something. Um, so thank you for sharing that story. Absolutely. It's such a gift that I feel obligated to share mm -hmm. those miracles that happen when, you know, we're all going to be gone someday. Yeah. And if things can happen in such coincidences and, and beauty, you know, I, I feel an obligation to, to tell everyone the yeah. story. Yeah. So yeah. thanks for. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of fathers, I'd love to shift gears and talk about another very powerful role. Um, Mr. Miller <laughs> um, on the resident. Um, so you play, you actually played, you know, when I was doing some research, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, you've played these really powerful, pivotal roles. And it's interesting that we were just talking about your father. And in that particular scene on The Resident um, that you've done a couple podcasts about and you with your co-stars, you, you did a, a video kind of uh, sequence on. You play a father in a very emotional moment uh, where he comes into a hospital and his daughter has just given birth. Um, and the daughter says that she's going to give the child over to uh, two male fathers, a gay couple. And this very, I think it's a pretty powerful scene because of what's not said as well as what's said in that exchange. And the question I wanted to ask you, you know, for me as a gay man, like I see these things playing out on television and I want to stop the whole world and have everybody watch it in that moment because it's in those, it's in those exchanges, right? Through art, through the work that you do that causes some people to change their mind or lead with their heart or say this, this feels different. Right? So I would love to hear from you what it's like to play a role like that, knowing, or maybe not knowing, I don't want to put those words in your mouth, that you're going to be changing some hearts and minds. Well, that's that's what art should do, right? I, I, when I came across this audition, uh, I really, really, it, it, it you, know, you, you read scripts and you read auditions and some affect you and some don't. And this one just hit me uh, so hard. And you know, as a gay man as well, I really wanted to play it. And my manager, when I had the callback for it, my manager's like, this guy's kind of hateful. Why do you want to play this character? 
and I said, because no one knows, you know, I've been on the receiving end of that judgment and I've seen the look that I'm giving these characters. And I don't think a straight guy would have been in those shoes quite like a gay guy. And the irony of it all uh, and telling the story, because it is important to tell. Sometimes you have to be the bad guy to tell that story. Uh, it just really struck me and I couldn't wait. I was really hoping that I was going to get the role. I actually got um, a callback for it and they wanted me to adjust my audition a little bit because I think I was coming off a little too harsh. Mm. And so they they came back and said, you know, can you soften him up a bit? Show, show us the love there. And I said, no, that's beautiful and, and all that. And uh, so I did that. Um, but it was, I mean, it's, it's fun. It's fun to be, you know, it's fun to be a villain. It's fun to be, obviously as an actor, you want to be someone you're not. That's the the joy of it. And, uh, but for me that just to be as convincing and, you know, unfortunately, you know, I grew up in Tennessee, so there, there is, you know, in the Baptist church, there, there is a lot of judgment and, um, sort of anti-gay rhetoric and all of that. So, um, I think I just wanted to be a part of it and show, you know, there was a, I wanted the resolve to be that we realized these fathers are going to be amazing fathers to, to this child and hear our, uh, judgment and uh, religious beliefs are imposing on a child having an amazing life and them having a, a happy home. But we are so staunch in our beliefs that we won't. And, and here I'm about to say, you know, I'm, I'm willing to kick my daughter out of the house mm-hmm. if she goes through with this. Like what a horrible, horrible situation when it's all about love, you know, and the doctor is, 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 trying to convince us and, and all that. And I really thought we were going to come back and we were going to see, oh, a happy ending. We have learned that. But, you know, I think the beauty of it is that resolve never happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's, it makes it even more profoundly sad that, wow, they, they were <laughs> uh, never willing to give that up, um, which is heartbreaking mm-hmm. because you see, and things are changing, but Sometimes it feels like we're going backwards, mm-hmm. but um, we've come a long way. We have so far to go. Um, you know, it's just profound. Um, gay parents and adoptive parents, they want to be parents so badly, you know? And so how can you deny someone who is so invested to want to give love to a child and to nurture a child in such a way, how can that be a bad thing when we see bad parenting going on every time you leave the house? Mm -hmm. So I, I don't, I don't quite get that. It, it was, it was kind of funny though, uh, to be gay and play that because the two guys that, that played the couple, uh, they stayed far away from me, uh, during our breaks, they wouldn't come over and chat with us. And I wanted to reach out and go, Hey guys, I'm one of you. But I, I, I didn't because I didn't want to break that tension Mm -hmm. as well. So it was kind of fun that we, you know, my wife and I, uh, Kim and I just, or the actress playing my wife, you know, just stuck in one corner and, and looked at them across the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was it was quite fun. Yeah. yeah, there was there was a quote that uh the doctor, um I think it's Bruce Greenwood is this is the actor. Yeah. Uh he said it's it, terrific. Yeah. yeah, he's an incredible actor. There's a quote that I love that he says in that scene, um uh, you know, of that episode of The Resident, which is children and parents are actually born on the same day. And mm. I remember kind of back in that lineup a little bit and being like Wait, what did he say? And and I realized what he was saying was um, that you, both you and Kim, right, as parents, were born the day that the, your daughter, who was who was who had just had the baby, um, was born. <clears throat> and now these other parents were having the same experience. And so, interestingly enough, across sort of the hospital bed, that beautiful writing was trying to connect to those characters. And I also love the fact that it doesn't always have a happy ending. Because it's, right. it's oftentimes from our heartbreak that we actually gain strength and resilience to sort of keep going and keep loving. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, the writing is so beautiful and profoundly sad, mm-hmm. you know, at the same time. And what, what a great line. 
that I'd never thought about that either until reading that. I was like, wow, that it's a new journey for a parent as well mm-hmm. on that day. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's beautiful. The, the, that kind of brings me perfect. You're lining things up perfectly. According to my notes, okay. the reading, you, I like that. you, you had <laughs> talked about, and you did this specifically talking with your co-star Kim. Um, and this really helped me understand a little bit more about the process, the acting, the, the booking, all of that you only get a piece of the script. You don't get the context. You don't get the full piece. And what's interesting to me listening to that, I did not know that for one. So I'm always always learning in these in these um, episodes, which I love. Uh, but it reminded me a little bit of my line of work, which is completely different than your line of work. I guide people through change. I lead people through change. And oftentimes, I'm actually entered into the scene midway through, and I don't get the full mm. script. So Something's already happened, decisions have been made, an org change has happened, a new tool has been put in place, whatever it is, and all that's commenced. And then they say, hey, I think we need some help with some change. Cue Bill. (laughs) Bill comes in. They say, Bill, we want you to basically say this, but we want you to say it in such a convincing way that everybody in the room goes, amazing, I'm totally on board now. Like, let's Mm. go win the awards. (laughs) And then they say, exit. Right. Right. (laughs) And I was like, wow, that's very similar to what I do, but in a completely different industry. And so I'd love to ask you a little bit about that. I I can imagine in times that actually is helpful. We don't have all of that. I'm going to put it in the margins, right? All the stuff that's in the margins, because it allows you to sort of laser focus on your particular scene. But other times you're probably like, hey, I'd like to actually just go have lunch with this character for a while and understand like, where was he the day before and where is he headed tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And when he gets in the truck, where is he headed? But that's not always the case for you all, right? That's right. You know, I, I think like to your point, it's a gift and, and a curse because uh, as an actor, um, you don't necessarily know much about anything before or after this one brief moment of this person's life. Uh, you don't know if they continue on in the story. You don't know if they come back in another episode. Sometimes you, every actor hopes that as long as you're not dead, you're going to come back. Uh, but um, yeah, it's, it, and I think the beauty of it is when you see the freedom of knowing that you have to fill in the gaps And it's your own imagination to know, you know, how much money is in the wallet of that character that day and, you know, their favorite candy bar. And those things aren't important to the story itself, but if it can ground you Mm -hmm. in a way and make, you know, of course you build the relationships, you build, you know, where you came from and what you're doing just after that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, um, you try to make sense of it as much as possible. Sometimes it's successful. Sometimes you're, you're on the money. Sometimes you're completely in a different film or television show. And you, you watch it. I love watching things I didn't book almost as much as, you know, things I did. And you learn so much. It's like, wow, I was completely off base. I had no idea. You know, or I was way too emotional for that. Or I wasn't emotional enough or whatever. So when it lines up, you know, you, you have to know the tone of a show. And sometimes if it's a pilot of a show, there's nothing established. Right. You can't really watch anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of confidence and guesswork and, and all of that. But to me, that's, it's thrilling and, and yeah. it's part of the fun of the mystery of it all. Yeah. And speaking of mysteries, stranger things for, um, Mr. Bingham, <laughs> uh, one of the things, one of the things I loved again was there's this element. I'm like, wow, he's taking these roles that are like, it's like stepping into the adversary's flannel, right? It's like, Oh, I love it. I'm just going to go put this flannel on. And all of a sudden, be <laughs> the complete adversary to maybe not really who I am, but how I move through the world and what's important to me. And right. and I'm just curious from that standpoint. That's like those are like mini what I would call um, transformations, right? Change and transformation is my line of work. But you do that in such a interesting way, right? I'm putting on a costume, but I'm also taking on this whole role of this guy with all these children, and you know, and they're running around like. I, is it hard to step in and out of that? I would be exhausted because I have to step in and out of it in a corporate way, not necessarily putting on different costumes, but I have to show up for my audience each each way differently by doing mm-hmm. research and all of that stuff. So when, I, when I'm done with that, I'm exhausted. Like I need a nap mm. and a, like a really good night's sleep. What is it like for you when you when they just go cut, scene, okay, do it again? Because you have to do these like multiple times, right? 
Mm-hmm. Well, there's so much adrenaline and so much excitement that you're getting, you know, as actors, no one gets to work as much as they want to. So when you're there, you're just, there's this high mm-hmm. and it's just sublime the whole time. And the, the work that you put into the character, uh, you know, the, I find, you know, the more you work, the less nerves you have. So now I'm to the point where I kind of am astonished at how I'm not nervous at times. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think, um, you know, even a show like Stranger Things that's so huge and uh, something that I would have dreamed, you know, to, to be able to work on. You would think that the, the power of all of that would make me like, oh my gosh, this is the stakes are so high. But th- there's such a relaxed feeling on set as well that you just you just live it. You're there right that moment, and you're just doing what you're you know focused on who you are and why you're doing what you're doing and uh, living it. You're just trying to make it as as real as possible. The homework is already done. Uh, you know the the remarkable thing about film and television, all of the character that you see. You know, in theater, you have time. You you get cast. You have rehearsal. You meet with the director. We talk about all this stuff. You rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. Film and television is not that. They when you audition, you're either the character or you're not. Which is, I wish I had known that when I got out of college. You know, uh, you just don't have time. Sometimes you you get booked and you 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 shoot the next day or two. Mm-hmm. The director is coming in and they might just be working on that one episode. So. Um, they're a guest as well. So unless you're off track or unless it's just not working, you're not going to get notes. You know, you come in and you do what you did. A lot of times what you did in the audition, because you really don't want to change things right. very much. I, I try to just get more grounded in, in what I did. But, um, yeah, you just you just kind of have to come in as the character. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's part of the thrill of it all. But... Um, yeah, I think it's only until you get home that night that, that you realize yeah. how exhausted you are. It's like it's like you know in college when you were cramming for a test, and then when it was over, you're like, "Oh my gosh, I think I'm gonna sleep for a week." Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but that's that's all part of the adrenaline and, and the rush and all of that. It's it's so much fun. Yeah, no, I, I imagine so, and and that's it's kind of the sensation. I I would again, I'm I'm assuming right. I'm trying to put myself in the the body of somebody else and be like, that would be so exhausting to do that sort of time in and time out. Um, shifting gears a little bit to the audition stuff. Cause I also find this pretty fascinating how the auditions work. And we just recently had the COVID emergency state, you know, emergency lifted. So not to rehash all that in terms of what that was like, but I am curious. I feel like the way auditions happen changed entirely during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So I would love to hear from you, like, how was that change going from a world pre-COVID to during COVID? Because you did a lot of shooting and you did a lot of work during COVID and um, meeting people and masking and all of that. And then also the technology you you guys use. You probably did a lot of remote auditioning, correct? Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting is that the, the process pre-pandemic was for LA and New York was you get an audition. This is your appointment. You have to shuffle your ske- your work schedule to make sure you're at that appointment. You go, you go in the room with the casting director. They read with you. They put you on tape. Mm-hmm. So they read with you. And then, uh, you know, it's an, an opportunity for them to meet you and make sure that you're not crazy and, and all of that. Uh, and now that, well, and what's different is Atlanta as, um, a regional Southeastern market, They've been using self-tapes for years and years and years Mm -hmm. that rarely do you have an in-person audition. And I moved to Atlanta three or four years before the pandemic. So I had had to learn to self-tape. I had to buy all the equipment and the lights and all of that. And I embraced it. Like, I I love technology. A lot of my actor friends do not. I love to edit and I love tweaking the sound and the lights and all that. So that that's in my wheelhouse. So I was, I was good there. Um, but so then the pandemic happens and casting, everything is self-taped. So you have actors who had never put themselves on tape before Mm -hmm. learning how to do it. I mean, there are every studio, you know, uh, audition studio, acting studio now has classes in how to self-tape. Uh, so I think Atlanta and the regional markets had a little bit of a head start. Uh, to, to being, you know, perfecting that. Uh, but now the 
casting offices have realized that they don't need to go back to the room. Yeah. And they, instead of seeing, you know, they could see maybe 30 actors in the room because the day would allow only 30 actors to now seeing hundreds and hundreds of actors per role. Mm-hmm. And, and, and submissions wise, they get 1,500, 2,000 submissions, and then they might pick 200 to audition. They zip through the tapes, narrow it down. Maybe you'll get a call back, maybe not. But it, I don't, think that it's going to go back to in person Mm -hmm. for if ever because they're not they're not having to lease space they're not having to take their day to do this they can say oh we're going to watch these you know the next few days and and it's it's just the new normal and i've had a few friends say they don't want to be actors anymore because they didn't sign up to be cinematographers and yeah i don't know if that will (laughs) change but maybe that was just a threat but um I think you have to learn, you have to adapt, you have to evolve in every bit. Look at how COVID has changed every business. Mm-hmm. You know, offices sit empty now. People work from home. So um, I think I think you have to to adapt. I mean, there are. Th- I loved being in the room because there's that energy. Yeah. There's that introduction. You know, meeting you for the first time, there's an excitement of like, wow, I, you know, we've chatted and now I get to see you there and, and all of that. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's, a, and I've heard a few casting directors say actors, you have to have that flood of energy before the camera starts rolling mm-hmm. because we can tell if you were just asleep yeah. you know, not too long ago, you need to do some jumping jacks. We need that. We need to see that, uh, there because it's, it's lacking. So I try to keep that in mind yeah. uh, beforehand. I love the fact that you embrace the technology part of it. And, and I will say I'm very, very similar. One of the things I've always loved, I've always kind of been up on the up on the sort of trends. But more importantly, it's not just the trend. It's how you incorporate it into your life. So like you, I've taught myself everything about sound editing, video editing, you know, um, post-production, pre-production. And all of it is because of a, it's a passion, right? And I, I've mm-hmm. really, really enjoyed it. And, you know, a number of people said, hey, do you outsource the podcast? Do you just do this portion and then ship it off to people that will do all that? Mm-hmm. You know, do the editing for you. And the answer every year, I reserve the right to ask myself that question. Is this the year you want to do that? And for seven years, the answer has been no, because for me, the editing and the post-production is meditative. Like Mm -hmm. there's something about it that you step back and you say, look what we created. And then you go through and you listen. And I'm curious if it's like this for you as well. You know, when you're in the moment and you're doing it, you're kind of... You know, in your in your case, you'd be auditioning. You're thinking about the lines. Did I get that right? But then when you have it played back, sometimes there are moments where you're like, wow, I did that. I said that. Damn, mm-hmm. that was good. <laughs> right. Yeah. You hope, right? right? You hope you're outside looking at it. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's what's been great about all of this journey of podcasting um, is mm-hmm. I listen. You know, I'm a host in one minute. Then I'm an editor in the next. Then I'm a listener but that listen is probably more for, hey, do I need to tweak something here or there? And and usually it's at the fourth or fifth listen that I'm listening as a human, right? As a just mm. everyday Joe. Yeah. And there are times that I will say, Mark, like, where did that question come from? Wow. Like, <laughs> yeah. Which tells you you're the divine flow. inspiration. Absolutely. That's that's the art. Yeah. And it's an art of what you do. And it's beautiful when you lose yourself yeah. in the process a bit. And it sounds like that's that's what you're doing. Yeah. When I first started self tapes, a, a friend of mine was taping me and I'm like, I, she's like, well, let's watch it back. And, and I go, no, 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 I, I will not watch it. back. she's like, what are you talking about? And it, it took me a while. Now I laugh because I mean I'm I'm watching every micro expression that I have when I'm picking which take to choose mm-hmm. because I I have to know how it's reading. Right. And it might have felt great, and it's like oh, that one's not so good. The the magic of this, and I, and I'd be interested how it applies to to your world, is that there's magic in the mistakes in, in my auditions and in the performance. Uh, when something goes a little wrong or there's a sound that is in the background that distracts me for a second, it throws you off the planned game. No one wants to watch a planned game. We're human beings and we crave real human experience. So if something throws me off and suddenly you see in my eye, 
there's beauty in that. Yeah. So there are times I'm like, I hope something goes wrong, <laughs> you know, because it really is beautiful. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I find, interestingly enough, you probably will understand this from an audio component as well. Not only is the magic in those moments of the of the mistakes or the unplanned, because that's usually when the universe is reminding you something. And oftentimes in this medium, what ends up happening, interestingly enough, and I was kind of monitoring for it, was when people start telling their story from a place of vulnerability, from a place of trauma, hurt, right? They, they, they're afforded the opportunity to sort of share that for the first time. It's a very powerful experience, right? It's an energy frequency change. And what's really interesting, Mark, the, the technology can't keep up. What ends up happening mm. is packets drop in the digital transmission. And I've actually mm. had episodes in the past where people have really started to venture into some tough territory for themselves. And they didn't intend to, right? We were, we were just going to talk about life and their career. But once people feel safe and open and cared for and held, right, I see you, I believe you, and I, and, and I understand you, they open up a little bit more and they start to share that story. And I've gone back and there will be entire packets that have dropped out of the audio. And I, I can't explain it. Wow. Cannot explain it. Like wow. there was no loss. Interesting. Of it. And it's happened more than five times, which tells me wow. how like human vibration gets to a certain point, right? And this technology wow. can't keep up. I'm fascinated. Yeah. It's like a supernatural thing, right? And, like, and I'm sure people wow. in this industry, in your industry, would say Absolutely. That makes sense. Right. Cause I mean, think about it. It's like, mm. it's like a vibration, right? You're, you're kind of, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's just, you cannot, we cannot be contained. Um, right. which makes me think a little bit about generative AI and I'm curious in, mm-hmm. in your world, right? The writer strike, uh, mm-hmm. all the stuff that you talked about the editing, that part, that part's pretty fascinating too. I'm having discussions with people almost daily now about, Hey, Bill, are you worried that you've got thousands of hours of your voice out there? It could be easily replicated and thrown into an AI and it could be used. And I said, yeah, I am concerned about it. But it's also why I've had to talk to my family and say, if anybody ever gets a call that says, I'm in trouble, I need money, it's not me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate that's yeah. the fact and that's the reality we're in. I'm just curious from your standpoint, in your world, this AI thing has descended upon us. Obviously, mm-hmm. I'm in the technology world, so I get to see it almost in development, but I'd love to hear your thoughts because it is, it is affecting your world. Yeah. It, it's it, every time I, I read an article in entertainment uh, news, there's another actor freaking out about AI and it's uh, it, it's, it's scary to think that this Pandora's box that we open, but before I get to that, yeah. it's funny. You're talking about replicating your voice the ability to do that now in ransom situations. Mm-hmm. I was with my mom in Tennessee on Mother's Day, and I said, Mom, if ever I call you and I'm asking for money or I'm being held ransom, we need a code word. Yes. Yes. And if I say, or ask me a question, like, what was my first dog? There's got to be a security thing. And to, to have to talk to your 84-year-old mom about that is heartbreaking, but it's the world we live in. So we have a we have a code word, we have a question, security okay. question. But uh, yeah, so it's funny you, you mentioned that. But um, you know, obviously, I'm a mama, a mama's boy, a daddy's boy. I'm a parent's boy because I keep bringing them up. But my dad taught me something that actually re- recently I said to myself: use that little nugget, which is it's a scary world in in. AI and the ability you think, am I going to be obsolete as an actor, a voiceover? I, I'm just starting the journey of a voiceover thinking it's acting. Why am I not doing that? Good. But, Cause um, your voice is tremendous. By uh, the way, I thought the same thing when I was oh, watching your interviews before, you. I was like, why is he not doing voice work? His, his, uh, it's incredible. <laughs> I think I had that naive, uh, idea that you you have to have a radio voice to do you know and I, and I don't necessarily have that but it's that's not even what is bankable nowadays no. it's about being real yeah. and if you're a real actor then you can yours do is it. a so soothing voice much for that. a radio voice is oh. not because a radio voice we're triggered in a way right it's breaking news flashing whatever right mm. that is not the sensation i want when i listen to an audiobook Hmm. Yours is a soothing voice that has uh, a lived that. experience in its tone. I'm ready to like 
pull up a cup of coffee and, and, and have uh, a long list. Well, that's so, very nice. That's that's very encouraging. Yeah, I appreciate doing that. it. Uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, but um, yeah, so I, I think. I'm not going to fear the unknown until there's something to fear yeah. because we can really run around and fear the what ifs of everything. And that, that was my dad's point of never fear the what ifs because you've, you're stressing your body out about something that hasn't happened and your body doesn't know the difference between real and imagined stress. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to sit here and think, Oh my gosh, am I going to, am I going to lose work? Am I going to, you know, should I figure something out? No, no, just do your job. Be as great as you can be. Do what you're doing. Don't don't fear that what if mm-hmm. because, I mean, it's scary. But the world is scary, yeah. you know, because the what ifs are any, the violent gun situation mm-hmm. in our situation, you know, the, our world in our country right now, not our world, our country. Yeah. <laughs> anything can happen anyway. And Atlanta is uh, feels like worse than anywhere else, but because I live here, but everywhere yeah. there's a problem. But um, so anything could happen. So I'm not going to worry about all those things. Otherwise, you wouldn't leave your house and you just live in bubble wrap. And, yeah, that's yeah. totally it's totally true. And I think I think there's that element of um, right. You keep going, right? There's we, yeah. we have this one wild, precious life, and yes, it is scary at times. But keep smiling, keep loving, keep connecting. All of that, right? That's how we that's how we heal in between and, and amidst mm-hmm. all of this um, trauma and Absolutely. loss. Absolutely, support one another. Yeah. Um, yeah. A couple more questions. Um, this one's kind of a little, a little, you know, packed. But when you think about family dynamics, right? You clearly have done a lot of stories of change and telling that change through the scenes, pivotal moments in shows like Modern Family. Um, I think of I think of shows like Heartstoppers or Love Simon or Love Victor, or even the movie like Latter Days, right? That goes back a while. Um, I'd love your thoughts on this aspect of through the arts. And through this medium, and we talked a little bit about this before, um, what is the role that actors play um, in helping us change policy and helping us shift the way right, laws, um, policies, uh, processes happen? And we talked about this a little bit before, and I know you said in a previous interview about you know, the concept of not being able to visit somebody, your spouse in the hospital or what we're seeing to happen to kids today. I mean, we don't have to just yesterday, Florida, Texas, right? Like this stuff is scary. So yeah. as an actor, do you think about not just the work that you do, but maybe the role it may play, not immediately, but afterwards, right? Like we can even go back to mm-hmm. like the original Ellen show and Will and Grace and all that. I'm just curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, I think um, there's a certain responsibility uh, as a storyteller to tell things that that will help future generations. Mm-hmm. And you know, growing up as uh, a gay kid in Tennessee, um, I didn't really see those stories told. Mm-hmm. And now it's in there's a, a dilemma because you think is you see how being an out gay actor has has hurt a lot of of actors. Uh, and there are times that I think, gosh, you know, is this going to cause a problem for me? Um, as far as accepting gay roles, as far as uh, telling those stories. But I think there's a certain obligation as well to do that. You know, there's, there's this film, uh, that's just in festivals now called campfire about a man who was married for 30 years to a woman and she divorces or leaves him. And he ends up going to this gay campground that a man he was involved with before he got married always wanted him to go and visit, but he never did. So for 30 years, he's wondering about that part of his life. So he goes, he embarks on this journey and there's a self-discovery, uh, and a wonderful, the pursuit of this person to see if he's there, uh, beautiful story. And we shot it at this uh, gay campground in Pennsylvania and so many camper, it was a normal operating weekend. Uh, and so many of the guys that were there approached me and said, this is my story. Yeah. You're telling my story. Yeah. And that was so moving to me mm-hmm. because I thought, their story hasn't been told, you know, and we, we, 
as a culture, we see wonderful, there's representation in wonderful ways and seeing Will and Grace and, and be embraced by so many people and, you know, modern family and shows that have gay characters. It's like, ah, oh, you know, I'm not something to be hidden. I, you know, there's, we're wonderful people. We're entertaining and all of this. Um, but but I think now we're embarking on another chapter where there are stories told about not the typical mm-hmm. gay person and people making discoveries later in life and uh, living their truth. And so I think there's um, a certain obligation. You know, I had, I had worked on Yellowstone mm-hmm. and um, that, there, you know, there are no gay characters on, on Yellowstone. And I enjoyed being a rancher that has a wife and a daughter and, and all of that. And um a year or so later, I got a, an audition for a commercial as a rancher who introduces his partner. And it's a little bit of a lead up of a surprise that you think he's going to be this, you know, American flag waving, you know, tough guy. And he's talking about freedom and all this. And it turns out it's freedom to uh, be who he is and all that. So it's a nice little surprise, but it, uh, there was a fear like, well, gosh, is this going to mess up my opportunity to ever come back on Yellowstone if they mm-hmm. see? And then I stopped and I said, you know what? I can't live that way. Yeah. This is, this is important. Think about the people struggling to live and making strides in, in our community, um, that will see this and, and it might make a difference. So I feel like I'm a long-winded way of, of answering your question. And the, the, the answer I think is it's, it's important to use our ability to tell stories, uh, to change policy, to change minds, because I think a parent hopefully only learns to accept a gay person, you know, when it's their child, you know, my, my parents had no experience with gay people. And when I came out to them, they were shocked and upset. And, you know, the biggest thing my dad said, I, I just don't want people to hate you for no other reason than that. Uh, and, and worried about my safety and all that. And then he was upset that I had to struggle with it for as long as I did alone without, you know, them knowing. Um, so I think that it's the same way telling a story that's not so preachy necessarily can influence people to see things in a way that they hadn't before. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think there's a huge responsibility to telling a, no one likes to be beat over the head with the story or, or, um, it's so obvious the message, but when it touches sort of enters in a, in a different way, I think there are times people see and say, wow, is that me or is that them? And getting back to the resident, I think that was one of the joys of playing a role like that mm-hmm. is to maybe hold up a mirror to make people think, wow, am I that person? Right. You know, so con- the convictions of my own religious beliefs, keeping love in a, in a wonderful family from happening. So, yeah, yeah, very long winded, but <laughs> no, no, no. I appreciate you sharing that. Cause again, I loved how you said on um, and filming the campfire, people said, that's my story. And part of the reason I'm wearing the shirt I'm wearing today, Minority Veterans of America, is because mm. that's my story, right? This story, mm. right? I was yeah. in the Army for 12 years, served under Don't Ask, Don't Tell. You just recounted your story wow. with your parents and your father. That's my story. The same exact story, yeah. right? Um, yeah. And I also believe that everyone deserves the right to heal. And that healing happens on both mm-hmm. sides, right? We're healing through what we went through. And our parents are healing. Um, I, I've come mm-hmm. to learn over time that um, the same amount of compassion I want, I want to afford to others because, you know, I'm not a parent, um, but I've talked to many parents and many parents say that initially it's like a loss of a child because they have a, they have a picture in their mm-hmm. mind of what right. Mark was going to look like and Mark was going right. to have this many kids or whatever. And all of a sudden they have to grieve that picture. It doesn't mean they don't sure. love you, but they have to grieve that right. picture and they're on their own timeline. Yeah. And I, you know, we, we've been through that and we're still going through that. Um, but I appreciate those stories being told because it's in those moments, whether it's filming something like Campfire or The Resident or Modern Family, that somebody says, hey, I'm not alone. Like somebody understands mm-hmm. what I'm going through, literally yeah. and figuratively. And that's very much a part of what this whole thing is for me, right? Meet with people like you, have them tell their story. Somebody hears it. 
takes a walk and says, hey, I'm not alone. And maybe reaches out and says, hey, I've always wanted to act or do something. And then next thing you know, they get to live their full purpose. Like mm-hmm. part of me says, keep going, right? Like that's that's what this is about. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that. It wasn't long-winded. It was it was healing. Oh, good. Yeah. I appreciate that. I, I, I think, as you can tell, I'm an open book and I don't mind sharing intimate details about my life because I feel like that's what we wake up to do. We, yeah. we wake up to connect and we wake up to hear stories and we wake up to feel more than anything. And I think that's coming back to acting. You know, I had an acting teacher say in our profession, we most of humanity tries to escape their, their trauma yes. and we hire people to help us escape our trauma. But the actor dreams of running into the fire of emotion. We want to run into the fire of pain and tell those, and you have to live it. You know, that's the thing. As a younger actor, I used to, I was fascinated by a performance and say, wow, how were they able to pretend to be so real? But it's not pretending to be so real. It's being real. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, I I remember Sally Field and Stu Magnolia. Oh my God. Yes. Like, like she, and I remember just being like, wow, did she practice the way she said that? Like just being naive to the fact that she was living that pain and that my dream is to live the pain of someone that to honor their story in a way as painful as it is, but luckily I get to go home and wash it off. Mm -hmm. But if I could be, you know, if I'm playing a fire captain, uh, in Chicago fire, uh, I want to be. I want to just honor them. They lived it. I can at least live it for that period of time. So that's the magic of this thing is that when you see an amazing performance, you go, wow, what a great actor. You know what? No, they were actually living that right then. Yeah. You know, they've created circumstances. So that's, that's the beauty of it. Cause you get to see, it's not pretend, yeah. you know, if it's good, I yeah, think. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I, anytime I have the opportunity and it's been used against me too, the, one of the greatest lines is drink your juice, Shelby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's become iconic, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Hasn't it? <laughs> um, so last question. It's kind of a, a, a three-parter. Dream role, dream director or producer or both, and dream co-star. Gosh. Dream role... You know, it's funny. I mentioned the fire captain. I've always wanted to be uh, a fireman, mm-hmm. and uh, I was I was pinned, which means it was between me and another guy for a role in Chicago Fire, and it was a very emotional thing. So that, that's why that came to mind. So I think playing a fire captain uh, would be or something like I, I love those types of roles that that has an emotional side. Mm-hmm. I guess would be a, a dream role. Uh, do I have a dream director? I don't know. I think anyone that provides me that opportunity, <laughs> you know, I've worked with a lot of female directors lately mm-hmm. and the set is the, the air is different and I love it so much. Yeah. Um, uh, this pilot I did uh, called Bluff City Law was the first time and, and it was just a relaxed, artistic communicative environment and i hate to boil it down to male versus female but and not contribute you know her as just a great director but um i don't know i'd like to work with more female directors because i think it does change the dynamic uh in that way uh what was the last question dream dream co-star oh dream co-star um gosh i love olivia coleman so much Mm. Uh, since Broadchurch and all the things that she has done. Um, Tony Collette is one of my oh, dream, yeah. you know, actors. Brian Cranston, of course. You know, all the, these amazing actors. Um, any chance that I've had to work with someone that I just love so much, like Paul Rudd, I got, got to work with him in a scene. And the generosity and the uh, just comfort as an actor, um, 
that's a dream yeah. when, when they turn out to be as nice as you hope. And Paul Rudd was certainly the nicest human I think I've ever met in my life. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I guess, I guess that would be my list. That's a good list. I would, I, I would, I would sign up for that list. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, that's great. This was really, uh, really enjoyable and I've learned a lot. Uh, I felt like the connection was, was something I was really anticipating in a, in a, in a wonderful way. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Oh, this is so much fun. Thank you. I appreciate you listening and have a wonderful, um, weekend and birthday celebrations. Um, and whatever I can do to, to help, um, echo promulgate. I've turned a lot of people onto your work. <laughs> uh, well, it was a joy for me. I'm a huge fan of your podcast. Thank you for having me on. 